<laughs> well, this is recovery, yes? Yeah? Hopefully. So, you know, the, the book of recovery is like a living book. It's meant to be, like Bill W. said and the founders said, that we know but a little, and others that will come after us will add on to it. Yes? So, the principles are unchanged, but there are ways of seeing things that may illuminate something that wasn't illuminated before or may make sense to you where it wasn't making sense. Like, that's what happened to me when I went to these guys, Joe and Charlie, when I was young. These guys used to do a big book seminar, and they used to do it in California in September every year. And the first three years I was sober, I went to those four-day events. And I thought I had read the book, but their understanding of the book was radically different than the way I was understanding it. And especially when they explained the fourth step. When I had done a fourth step, I didn't really get a sense, the connection between the first and the fourth column. It didn't make sense to me, my role and everything still. But by them explaining it, when I was hearing them, they were talking on a Saturday morning, and I, my, the light was just going on, and I couldn't wait to get out of there to go to my motel room and do an inventory, <laughs> where it took me six months or so to do the first one. This one took me like an hour, because it was clear. I understood that what had defeated me was self. Yes? It was incredibly beautiful. So f my idea is just that, is that what may not have been illuminated can be illuminated by sharing. So one of the things I'd like to share, start off with tonight, is the first step of recovery in the book is that we admit that we were powerless over alcohol and our lives have become unmanageable. Now hearing that, the way I heard that, it sounded like my unma the unmanageability was uh, an effect of the cause of my overdrinking. Yeah? It was because I was getting loaded and doing drugs that my life was unmanageable. That's how it sounded like to me. And so when I got sober, I thought that a lot of problems were going to disappear because the reason why they were so was I was using drugs and alcohol. And when I got sober and stopped using drugs and alcohol, what was revealed to me was the real problem. That drinking and the, and the uh, drugs are actually my solution to the problem. My solution to my alcoholism was the drink. What I was suffering from alcoholism, and it was my attempt to manage that suffering, that irritable restlessness and discontent, that causes the unmanageability. It's my solutions that I'm suffering from right now. Most of our lives are about suffering from our own solutions to the situation. So if you, then when you go to how it works in the book, and in how it works, there's a, at the end it says there are three pertinent ideas that we need to be convinced of. Yes? And that our experiences before and after being sober, before and after being sober, verify these ideas. And the first one was that we're alcoholics yeah, and we could not manage our own lives. Now that sounds totally different to me than the first step. The first step sounds like my unmanageability was caused by my drinking and using. This has totally erased that idea and says, yeah, you're alcoholic and you cannot manage your own life. Yeah? So the real root of the problem to me, after I got sober, was not drinking. I haven't drank in 23 years. But the real problem was managing. Yes? Managing. The desire to control. And then it's really spoken about in the uh, beginning of the third step, where it says the how and why of this whole program, which is a pretty comprehensive statement, 
about any program. If you were going to do a program at a gym and the person said, this is the how and why of the program, that's a very comprehensive overview. Yeah? This is what it's about, bro. So it says the how and why of the program is for us to quit playing God. Yeah? It doesn't work. And there was a guy, a psychiatrist, I met some people in Chicago, I was doing a talk there, and a psychiatrist that he knew had done his master's thesis on Alcoholics Anonymous, and he wasn't an alcoholic. And his whole thesis was distilled into one statement. What people in AA are doing is learning how to quit playing God. Yeah? And that's exactly, to me, the root of the problem. It isn't drinking and using. It's managing. It's controlling. It's this head, which I call selfing, yes, playing God. And you can see it very easily. Sometimes you wake up in the morning, and before you even get up, you think you know what the day's going to be like. Yeah? You think you already believe what you know, what you're like, and you give very little room. Even if the life's evidence is to the contrary, usually you will override the evidence of life to believe that you're a loser or that you're not lovable. Yeah, you'll be complaining that you've never got any acknowledgement, and you'll be sitting in a room full of people that are acknowledging you, but you'll be totally blind to it because of the belief system that's in place. This is playing God. Yeah. So then there's another statement that's very important to me in the book, which I think, again, focuses more clearly on the root of the problem. And it says that self, yes, is what has self manifested in various ways. So manifested means it appears in various ways. So self appearing in various ways is what has defeated us. So it separates us from self right there. And I know what, how I got defeated by self is I was identified as self. If you ask everyone in this room what self defeated them, it would be myself. Every one of us would have the same answer. It would be myself, 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 myself. And maybe if you were obsessed with a woman or a man, them, their selves for a month or eight months here. But basically what's been doing it to you for a long time is my, M-Y. And to me, that's the act of identification. So here... It says, being convinced that self, manifested in various ways, is what has defeated us. Yeah? Now, and then it says, we will now look at its, meaning self's, yes, common manifestations. And it says, the next paragraph begins with the word resentment. So, in my view, in my humble view of this program, the fourth step is really about taking an inventory on the expressions of self in your life. Yes? As if self is a foreign installment, or I like to call it a parasite. To me, alcoholism is just an extreme subdivision of self-centeredness. I believe the original disease everyone is suffering from out here is self. It's the identification as being a long-lasting, singular, independent entity, a body. And while you take yourself to be a body, the best you can do with spirit is to have a spiritual condition. But if you are spirit, you are a spiritual condition. Yeah. So for me, it's identification as self. And you can see it if you look at that statement, that self is what has defeated us by all these various manifestations. When you experience fear in your life, what do you call it? Your fear, yes? When there's a resentment in your life, you call it my resentment. When you act out, I acted out. You're claiming the expressions of selfing in your life. That's the act of being identified. To me, that's the root of the whole dilemma. And selfing plays God. Your head tells you how you're like, how you're going to be like, how it was like, how it will be like. 
you know what it's going to be like when you go to work that day, and you haven't even arrived there. Some people, they go home, and they, the, by around 9 o'clock at night, the head tells them how their day was. It says, you had a really bad day. You would imagine if you were actually conscious, you would know when it was bad during the day, don't you think? <laughs> Why is it that we're on a time delay, and something tells us how things are, and how they're going, and what's going to happen? This freaking thing. It's like the Greek oracle that's never been right. It's constantly prophesizing. This is going to suck. Nothing's ever going to happen. I'll never... I've worked with so many people, and the main thing they're worried about in beginning recovery, I'll never have a girlfriend. And they would just complain. I'm never going to have another girlfriend. And then they'd have a girlfriend, and they'd complain about having a girlfriend for months. But their whole belief was, I'll never have a girlfriend. It was, I used to have them write down the date. I want you to write down the date so that I can tell you when you have a girlfriend, the date. Yes? I want to tell you this, because I'm tired of hearing it, constantly. I'm not going to be, this is called playing God. Yes? If you, and when this is playing God, the whole how and why of the program is to quit playing God. How are you going to... So, okay, in the book it says the root of the problem, in their view at that time, was obsession with self. Yes, everyone agree? Have you read the book? It says, that's what we think is the root of the problem, being extremely concerned about you. Yeah? I don't believe that's the case. I believe it's identification as a self. I'm going to use an ex a lot of examples, but let's say, in life, the thing I was most obsessed over was cocaine. Yeah? I mean, I loved coke. I loved it. But I never became coke. Yeah? No matter how obsessed over coke I was, I never thought I was cocaine. There was a separation. Yeah? I was obsessed over it quite a lot, but I never turned I never moved into a bindle or whatever. I never just became cocaine. But at this thing, this point, you have like a horror movie where the starlet has some rabid follower, like another female who dresses like her and tries to go out with her boyfriends and then kills them all off and gets super jealous and tries to become her. Yeah? And that's a pretty extreme, scary obsession. Yes? But we're identified we're identified as self. We're so far past obsession that the self thinks it's having obsessions. Yeah? We are way past the point. And when you're identified as self, you don't know you're identified as self. You haven't a clue. You may be very spiritual, you may be this and that, but usually you will not have a clue. Usually you have to hear it from some outside source or some grace. Because the identification in, is working because you don't know it. <laughs> and you'll know the problem by the solution, I'm telling you. If you entertain, you're not that. I found that you'll start traveling lighter consistently. Yes, it won't promise to change the geography of your life, but you'll travel lighter over whatever's planned for you as an action figure. Yeah, and what more could you want? Yes? And you know the problem by the solution. If something works that radically, you're on to something. So for me, I think the obsession with self is how the mind, the conditional mind that's identified as self, reinforces the identification. Yeah? Because it's not a natural bond. Yeah? It says, please, please, relieve us of the bondage to self. What's bonding us to self is the daily narrative, yes, in your head. Isn't it? It's thoughts that are called yours. One of the greatest reliefs I had in the beginning in AA, I came to AA 
suffering from that incredible feeling of terminal uniqueness. I don't believe anyone can understand me. No one's done what I've done. No one's thought what I've thought. No one's felt what I felt. And then I'd be in rooms and people were sharing my feelings and my thoughts. And they'd done what I'd done in certain situations, in the exact same situations. And after a few months, I could only come to two conclusions. How did they get my thoughts? How did they get my feelings? How did they get my actions? Or they're not mine. Yes? I would call them alcoholic thoughts, alcoholic feelings, alcoholic reactions. It's like, I don't identify with who you are, but I do identify with what's taking you over. Because the same parasite called alcoholism has taken me over. Yes? And the parasite of alcoholism is incredible. Because it is, as you know, it's a hostile takeover, yes? When you are taken over by alcoholism, it's not a nice ride for the host. It really is. Even physically, you lose teeth, limps, everything else, you know? It's just freaking, it's not a, it's not a nice takeover. So, for this parasite to take you over and have you submissive to the takeover, which is the real deal, it's how to have you submissive when all your natural reactions would be to throw the parasite off is that it convinces you you're the parasite. It presents an idea of you called selfing and you believe that's what you are. What's it, it's implying. So the mind that you're in can never entertain being free of it because how could it entertain being free of you except by killing yourself? And that's what some people do in recovery. They never drink again, but they commit suicide. Because the problem, they can't see the possibility of being free from it because they're identified as it. Yes? Your mind can never entertain being free from you unless you die. It can't. Yeah. But if you entertain, I'm not that, the immediate sense that you get is I could be free of it. I don't have to therapize it anymore. I don't have to try to get it self-esteem. I don't have to try to civilize it. I don't have to make excuses for it or rationalize it, you know, or blame others for its behavior. I can just entertain. I'm not that. So I saw the big difference in thought is the my of the thought. Because yeah. I noticed that someone can be, I, I call it selfing, because there is no self. It's an appearance that selfing produces. So if your mind is attentive to the narrative of being a self, that's what I call selfing, you'll feel like you're a self. And if you feel like you're a self, the best you can do is maybe have spiritual experiences, but you'll never, never entertain that you're truly a spirit because you think you're a body. And if you look at your system of thought, your system and my system of thought, I call it self-centeredness, it, the only way it, it presents you is as a body, doesn't it? When you think about you in the past, how are you pictured in that thinking? As a body, yeah? And if you think about you, I mean, you can think about you in the future, about 8,000 things, but you will appear one way in the, in the picturing of those 8,000 things as a body, yes? The thought system that we are identified with, that we rely on, yeah? pictures you as a body. So without any immunity to that, if you listen to that K-Paul station all day, you're going to believe you're what K-Paul believes you to be. Yes? You're going to take yourself to be a body. This is the identification as self. A body cannot become spiritual. Have you noticed? It's very difficult to grasp spirituality to a body. 
You've got to be really vigilant. You've got to be on top of it. And it can just blow up at any minute. Yeah? And it says in our whole program, the biggest, the daily reprieve in this program is a maintenance, is contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Yeah? So when you're, ma- when you're practicing a spiritual condition, tell me who tells you how you're doing. Your head, yes? Your head informs you how you're doing about God. Don't you think that's playing God? With God? It sure seems like it to me. If my head is telling me how close I'm getting to God, or how far I am away from God, I would say that's God playing. <laughs> there is a solution. I'm serious. I mean, <laughs> there is a solution. I mean, a radical solution. A solution. See, we've been conditioned to believe certain solutions don't really last, yeah? We believe problems last a long freaking time, but solutions to them tend not to really last long. We have to re-up constantly. You very rarely re-up with the problem. It just seems to have its own life, doesn't it? But the solution has to be invigorated. and inv- You don't seem to have to invigorate the problem too much. You just, but you have to invigorate the solution constantly, constantly, constantly. But there is a radical solution that's not bounded by time so much. Because if, it's like in the third step in the program, it says, you know, we surrender ourselves to a higher power of our own understanding. Yeah? What I found is I want to know, I want to know a God of its own understanding. If I know a God of my own understanding, it's going to be a very weak God. And it's not going to be always available at all times. Its availability will be based on what I do or don't do, which is playing God to me. Yes? So selfing once again takes over and is the center of the universe. I'd much rather know myself to be what God imagines me to be instead of knowing God as me. Yes, fuck. So, this idea of thoughts, let's say you're working with someone and they come over to your house and they're sharing there's another aspect of selfing. It lives in a realm of time, yes? So, in the thought system that is running our life, past and future is more important than now, if you notice, yes? Most of the thoughts don't really give a shit about now. They're about then and there, yes? So, a lot of our experiences here that we call fear are really not fear. They're mental anxiety. They're really an anxiety produced by our mind thinking about something in the future or the past, yes? And in the fact, really, the future and the past is, has one quality. It's actually not happening. It is not happening now. You, there's no airport I can land in the future, you know, and then rent a hotel room in the future, yeah? And I can't go back to the past, you know, and go on a little, like, junket. Yeah? All you travel there in is in mind, yeah? thought. And if you had a picture of yourself in this room while you're thinking about next Friday, the evidence would be you're here on this Friday. Yeah? But the thoughts go into next Friday, and in what's not happening, anything can happen. <laughs> it's a very important idea to have, that in what's not happening, happening, anything can happen. In other words, your mind can entertain you're going to be destitute next weekend. Your mind can entertain that your girlfriend is going to sleep with your best friend next weekend. You can entertain you're going to have cancer. Yes? 
And what's going to happen is your head will put, make up this thing, this idea, and put it in this place called the future, and then we'll think about it now. Yeah? Think about it now. And while you're thinking about it now, the meaning you gave it is going to produce an effect. You're going to feel anxious. Because usually what we're picturing in what's not happening is quote-unquote bad for us. Yes? Terrible things are going to happen. And so what most people are calling fear isn't actually fear. Fear is a valid emotion. It's mental anxiety. Yeah? And you don't seem to have immunity to it. Yeah? Yet, if someone else came over your house that you were working with and started talking about the fears they have or anxiety they have about what's not happening, that you, their what's not happening would not affect you. Yes? No matter how serious it was being taken by them, it would have little or no effect on you. Really. You'd be sitting there, and they, it would be like they're in a, an emotional blizzard. You'd be dry as hell. Yeah? And you're wondering, what the, what's the big freaking deal? Because to you, it's not happening. Yeah? And to everyone else, truly, it's not happening. And actually, to the person that thinks it's happening, it's not happening. Yeah? <laughs> so, what would be the solution to the ailment of being obsessed with what's not happening? Obviously, the recognition... That it's not happening. Yeah? So, thank God, <laughs> while what's not happening is being entertained by our head, there is something called what's happening. Yes? You may not like it, but this is what's happening. And in what's happening, it has a quality that's what's not happening does not have. Anything can happen in what's not happening. And only one thing's happening in what's happening, but the quality is that it is happening. Yes? So, in a sense... It has more of a substance than all the thinking about what's not happening. And if you can just see what, that you're here, yes, you have an immunity to what's not happening. Yes? You have an immunity to it. Why? Basically, on one fact, it's not happening. Yeah? And how much... Can you imagine going to a therapist who specializes in what's not happening? How long would this session be if he, was, he or she was a good therapist? It'd be like one minute. Hey, bro, it's not happening. Oh, but what do I need to do about it? Absolutely nothing. It's not happening. But wait a minute. It sure seems like it's happening. I know, yet it's not happening. That's your solution. Yeah. But how are you going to have that solution if you're identified as something that's actually not happening? You as a body and a body alone. Yeah, jeez. So, the idea of thought, people think their thought, thoughts are driving them crazy, but it's not thought, it's their thoughts. Yeah? It's the act of being identified, because I'll tell you, when it's about someone else, you have an immunity to it. It's when the thoughts are, the same thoughts are in your head, they're held totally different than when they're in someone else's head. Yeah? You have an immunity to their dilemmas, but you have no immunity to the exact same advertising when it runs in your theater and it's felt like it's mine. Yes? Or it's about me. So to me, the root, the active root of the problem is identification as self, which is the act of playing God. Yeah? That's what it does. To me, that's the act of disease. So after the drinking and using stops, the real deal shows itself. Yeah? That gnawing need to get relief, because it's, un it's insatiable. It's insatiable. It's like most people are living, try it's like slavery. All you're trying to do is get relief for self instead of getting relief from self. 
geez, and that's why St. Francis and these other people said, like, it's in self-forgetting that you're reborn. It's when you die to the self that life really starts. This whole preoccupation with you isn't even you. Yeah? You weren't even a, you didn't even have a sense of a self when you were first born. The research shows it that the, the baby for the first year or so has no idea of being a self or other. We grow into it. It's a mental process that produces the sense of being a self. And it produces it by selfing. Yeah? A mental stream of thoughts that encompass the whole story of this place, picturing you as a body. Yeah? They can't think of you any other way. Even when you think of you as yourself as a spirit, it's you're thinking of yourself as a spirit as a body. Yeah? <laughs> so for me, the whole solution was, I'm not that. Yeah? So I got a clue when I started realizing, Jesus, I'm not, these aren't my thoughts. And the first leap was I held them as alcoholic thoughts. And when I held them as alcoholic thoughts, what happens? I got some relief from them. They didn't have total domination over me because... The my was starting to get broken, yeah? Then after a while, I realized all the thoughts aren't mine. I'm not the thinker. It's like, it's amazing. You and I can't even take a shit when we want, yeah? Have you ever had to take a shit when it was totally not, you know, it was a very bad opportunity, you know, moment? Yeah. You can't even control it. No one here is digesting their own food. It's like, you don't have, like, a lineup, and you're digesting, like, the burrito from Thursday and the... the pizza from last night, you know, and you'll, I'll get to the ice cream later. No. Your role is very limited. You bring the food here, and that's it. Yeah? Everything else is done accordingly. So here I am. I can't pump my own blood. If I did, I'd be dead already. I'd think of something and forget to pump it. <laughs> my heart would have given out already. All of this stuff is totally involuntary, and yet, on the most subtlest activity of the body and the brain, which is thinking... Yeah? You can't even see a thought. Like, when you take a shit in the toilet, yeah? It would be, a, it's, a, it's a logical assumption that you did it, if you identify it as a body. If you identify as a body and you look down and you see something in there, there's an immediate connection. Hey, I took a shit. Yeah? I'll give you that. It looks like you are the one who shit it, but it was the body. But you identify it as a body, so yeah, I, I took the shit. But here, here is thoughts which you can't weigh, you can't see them. You can't see the thoughts. I cannot open up your head. Oh, there's a thought about Philadelphia in there. I can't, you can't see them. Yeah? Yet, your reaction to being aware of thoughts is, I'm the thinker of them. Isn't it? You believe you're doing that when you can't even take a shit. You can't even digest a burrito. If someone said, digest the burrito without putting it in your mouth, you could not do it. It would be, oh, I don't want to digest it. Yeah? But the st- thinking, you think you're the thinker of it. If you are the thinker of it, stop thinking. Yeah? See if you can. The point is, the selfing, yes, the disease in action, gives us a feeling that we're the doer and the haver of things, yes? So when some activity or verb is noticed, like thinking, the assumption in my head is, I'm the thinker. Yeah? So life is truly conscious contact. That's what actually life is. Seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. Yes? That's what engages this apparatus consciousness with life. Is seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. Yes? And seeing thoughts just like the eye sees a bird. The mind sees thoughts. Yes? 
That's conscious contact. What occurs is the conscious contact is happening at all times. The mental reaction to it is claiming it. I'm the one who's seeing. I'm the one who's thinking. I'm the one who's digesting this food. I'm the one who's hearing. I'm the one who's feeling. Yes? The selfing claims, like the, uh, the beingness of God as something you're doing. I'm the one who's conscious. Yes? But in fact, consciousness is prior to you. Your reaction to consciousness, your mental process reacts to consciousness and says, I'm the one who's conscious. So it, it makes itself the noun, and you're actually playing God. Because God would be that verbing of conscious contact, and you're playing God. You're thinking you're the one in contact. Yes? And then that root of the problem of, qu- of playing God just geometrically, you know what geometrically progresses means? It compounds. Boom, 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 boom. And now most of us are living on the consequential level. It's like we're living in a hallway of shit and fans, yeah? We only know the shit hit the fan after it hits us in the face, which is very, very slow time, yeah? You'd much rather see the fan and see what turns it on and see what moves the shit in front of the fan, and, and then see what causes you to go, what's happening? <laughs> you would like to limit the shit in the fans in one's life. It's like about being awake, yeah? To being awake, not to wait, let your life go by and have your mind tell you what you've missed. Yeah? But present, and you are present. You can't escape that. How the mental processes deals with it is it claims it. It makes presence a verb it's doing. Presence is spirit. Presence is awareness. You're conscious. That's awareness, yes? Presence is spirit and awareness. The mental process cannot erase that. What it does is claims it. I'm the one that's present. And when you believe you're present, you can believe you're not present. And that's what most of us do. This is everything. All the other senses are circular. Yeah? You see something comes back. The mind is binary. It's dualistic. It's yes, no, good, bad, high, low, close, far, day, night. Yes? Very extreme. Swinging, swinging, swinging. So let's say you believe that you're conscious. You're the one that's doing it. You'll believe that you can be unconscious. And based on what? I didn't do the meditation today. You'll still be playing God. Yeah? Once the consciousness, the animating principle, the presence that's prior to all of our mental activity is claimed, it gets made into something that you can acquire and lose. Yeah? Haven't you noticed that? You believe you did something to produce something immediately, and maybe you wanted to have that thing, and you worked hard, and then finally it seems to have been produced. You immediately get worried that you're going to lose it. You can't, if you think you have something, you're going to entertain, you can lose it. It's just the way it goes in the head. Yeah? But what happens if you don't have it, you can't lose it? Yes? What happens if the present, it's like in recovery, we suffer from this ailment, being obsessed or identified as self. So one of the best ways to get out of it is service. Yeah? You get a reprieve, maybe very short, but it works pretty much all the time if you show up. And what service is to me is, I make myself, what happens is I become available to someone or something, yes? And when I'm available, it's like I come out of the ass of self, yeah? My head's popped out, and I'm available, and what happens? I feel bigger, I feel lighter, and I feel a presence, don't I? Don't you? 
Haven't you noticed, you think maybe if I get that date with that woman at the back of the meeting, that will really produce a presence. I'll really feel great. And then a newcomer cuts in front of you before you can get your little agenda going. And yet, they, and then you go, hey, will you go out to coffee with me? And maybe you begrudgingly say, okay, motherfucker, I'll go. <laughs> and then you go with them, and what happens is you feel better, usually, and it's not the way you thought you'd feel better. Yeah? But you feel different, and you feel better, you feel more available, and you sense a presence when you're more available. That presence we call the higher power of God. Yeah? So what occurs is, I thought in my own life, selfing comes back up and claims it as an experience I had, the service experience. Then I go back into selfing, and I need to get out of self. Because it's unbearable, I'm telling you. The irritable restlessness and discontent is unbearable. And if it's not treated sooner or later, you're going to get loaded somehow. Because the imperative will override all your wisdom. Yeah? If you are not satisfied for a long period of time, you're apt to do almost anything. Yeah? So, okay, so I get out of, I do another service, yeah, to help you. Hey, bro, what's going on? How are you doing? Nice to meet you, yeah. yeah. Right. You have a sister or anything? Oh, no, okay, okay, we'll go out anyway. So then I get out of self again. I feel available. I sense a presence, yeah? What would happen if you could entertain that maybe, just maybe, the presence is what you are? Yeah? The presence is what you are. You're not this, having an experience of presence, but you're the presence. Yes? What would happen, what happens to me is, when I recognize that, I'm always available. Because even if you hear the word presence, that's what it means, yes? It's not past tense, nor is it futurence, it's presence. It's only and always now. Yeah? So if I'm always and always now, I'm always available. If I'm always available, I am of service. Yeah? So here, on this one level, it's like something you do to get a little relief service. On this other level, it's, it's a totally different ball game. It's, it's your natural consequence of being present is that you're of service. Yeah? This way, you're basically not of service unless you do something to prove that you're of service. To who? Your God. This, this understanding, you're of service no matter what the head's saying. Why? Because you're always available. Why? Because you're presence. Yeah? To me, it's like a quantum leap. It's a totally different way of traveling. And the solution is radical because it lasts. I don't know, it's not, I can't promise it will change the terrain of your life, you know, what you're going to go through this life. I have no idea. You're an action figure, I'm an action figure. You've got a story to play, I'm going to have a story. But I can guarantee you'll travel lighter over the terrain of your life, yeah? And by traveling lighter, you'll know the tree by its fruits. You'll see that you're on to something, because you'll actually be satisfied. Yes, you'll have an unspoken yes in your gut. You will know what only words can try to convince you of, but you'll know it in your gut. And that, that knowing is always available at all times, and it short-circuits the God playing of the mind. Yes? Because it's playing God big time with what we call God. It's making God something that will be very infrequently visited. Yes? That you can have to pray very hard or do something, to, and he probably won't hear you anyway. It makes it a state that you're in at all times. So how bad can it get? Yeah? It doesn't give much room for the mind to make up a big story. Because it's always cut short by the obvious presence of conscious contact. Yes? 
you always have an immunity to what's not happening because there's an awareness of what's happening. And I'll tell you, no matter how much you want to believe in philosophies and everything, the best answer to dissatisfaction is satisfaction. A sense of okayness and well-being will smooth out a lot of the beasts. Yes? A lot of those deep mental grooves that seem to haunt you will dissipate because you're satisfied. Yes? Not you satisfied, there's satisfaction. And after a while, there's no disputing it. Yeah? You don't have to convince anyone else. There's just the joy of traveling, where before you wanted to get out of here at all costs. All you wanted to do was transcend this place before. Yeah? What happened when I was young? This place flipped me out. I had a lot of people I liked die when I was young, when I was nine years old. And I just, it was unbearable, the feelings that that brought up. So I, my rest of my days was to make those feelings unreal, at all costs. And so I spent a lot of time trying to make things unreal. But the more I made them unreal, which was managing, they were real. The more I tried to make them unreal, the realer they were. Until I got sober and I let, it, I let them be as real as they wanted to be, and they showed me their true nature, they're unreal. They have no hold on me. Unless I believe them to. Yes. There's an ability to be free. So you can just walk in a room and not be obsessed about what you're thinking about. Is anyone seeing me? You know? Can you imagine how many times have you spent going home at night and having your head represent the day? And point out all the things you missed and all the opportunities. If I would have only done this, everything would have been great for the rest of my life. (laughs) How are you going to feel if you believe that? How are you going to feel that, let's say you're with a man or a woman, and you're basically most benignly neglecting them for your relationship, for two years, let's say. Then one day they decide to leave, and then suddenly they're the, they're the source of all your happiness. Yeah? You were with them for two years, and it was like, oh, what the hell, I want to watch football, whatever. But now that they're gone, it's amazing, they're the source of all your happiness. And therefore I have no chance ever to find the source of my happiness. What are you going to feel like then? Yeah? Don't you notice your head usually wants what it doesn't have? Yeah? Why? Because if you don't have it, you're going to miss it. And the wanting is going to amplify the missing. Yes? It's going to create exquisite suffering. If you live in wanting what you don't have, that's a a petri dish of exquisite suffering. And it's so obvious that you have the things that now you're telling yourself you really wanted. You've had them before, and how did you treat them? It's all bullshit. It's all the disease of selfing. The parasite does not want to let you go. You're not going to die early as an alcoholic and an addict. You're probably not. You're going to be walking around with limps and abscesses and missing teeth. You're going to, it's unbelievable. We're like cockroaches. We can't kill them. Because the parasite only has one you. It ain't letting you go. No freaking way. It's got plans for you. It wants your life. Yeah? And we're giving it to it freely, out of ignorance. We have no idea. Every time it expresses to us, we say, it's me, my feelings, my thoughts, my fears. It's incredible. There is a solution. You know? it doesn't, it's not, I don't care if you take it or not, but I feel like you have the right to hear it. I'm from the tribe of alcoholism and AA. And I found a radical solution to what I hear constantly, the active dilemma of being in alcoholism. Constantly. So much sharing about the problem from the problem. It's fucking insane. There is a solution. 
There's a difference when you share from the solution about the problem. See, the thing is, if you're identified as self, yes, if the act of identification is in place, any knowledge you get about self is self-knowledge. It's like it says in a book, it will avail us nothing. Why is that? Knowledge seems to be very valuable. But if it's self-knowledge, it avails us nothing. So any knowledge claimed by self, which is at that point you, will definitely neuter what that knowledge could maybe bring, which is freedom from self. Because you'll take that freedom from self and use it for self. Some people, iron chains bind them, other are gold chains. It's still bondage to the idea of being a self. And there's a radical freedom available in the program. It's all laid out. The principles are sound. You can get your basic external life somewhat even keeled so you can start entertaining something else, yes? Not all the consequential situations, but you'll have time to entertain the space of what's happening, yeah? The presence. I mean, we cannot believe that I stop, stop here, yeah? And then you start here. <laughs> Come on. If you close your eyes, do you see like made in China and on the inside of your cheekbone? Is this all that you are? When you close your eyes, do you feel like you're limited here? Like they said in the Bible, uh, the kingdom of heaven is within you. If you take yourself to be the body, it's a very small kingdom, very skinny, this one. No parking whatsoever in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven within you, the you it's speaking about, is in the body. Yeah? It's the you of what we are, the spirit. Of course the kingdom of heaven is within that, because everything is within the spirit. Yeah? But how can you take that statement, the kingdom of heaven is within you, as if it's in a body, and then it's not anywhere else? You know? Jeez, it's insane. We're so self-centered. This disease is incredible. You ever see those movies when someone dies, and the person's hanging right over them say, you can't do this to me. I mean, they're telling the person that this is an intrusion on their life, that they're dying. I'm sorry it's a passing away at this inopportune time. <laughs> Come on, you can't leave me right now. Give me a fucking break. <laughs> this is self-centeredness to the extreme. Yes? Everything has to be seen as it pertains to us. You don't see the, the drenchiness of the disease? But there is a solution, you know? The 12 steps can clear up a lot of stuff so that you can entertain freely. It's like, it doesn't build the mirror, but maybe it cleans it off so that there can be a clearer reflection of life, yes? So that there's a sense of the conscious contact instead of the thoughts about it, yeah? Instead of relying on thoughts about what you saw, just enjoy the seeing of it, maybe. Sense what it's like to see something, yeah? Instead of having thoughts about what you've seen. Yeah? It's a different way of living, and it's, it's available. Each and every one of us has fulfilled all the requirements. You are conscious. You are consciousness. Yes? But not as a body. If you t- keep entertaining consciousness as a body, you'll hide the consciousness away. You'll make everywhere seem to be not here, you know? And you'll have a special somewhere called your little independent separate entity. And then maybe you'll want some experiences of everywhere, but it'll be in somewhere. And you'll meet everywhere and you'll make it something. Yeah. So, I don't know. What time is it? How long? Am I required to go a certain length? Tonight? Everyone get... Uh, what? 
quarter of three. <laughs> this is overtime for sure. Now what time? Eight fifteen. Eight fifteen. When did I start? Seven thirty. Oh, jeez. I got to give you at least fifteen more minutes, eh? Yeah, yeah. Well, any questions tonight around this? Yes. Yes, to a degree. We're extremely obsessed with self. <laughs> we're, we're, we're an extreme subdivision of self-centeredness. It's an incredible subdivision because it can, can teach the rest of self-centeredness and save them a lot of trouble if they could not separate us from themselves. But they call us alcoholics and they think we're different. But we're just extreme examples of a life run on self. Yeah? Yeah. Yes? Well, I just I still don't understand how you do it. <laughs> you can't do it. That's the good news. <laughs> I can't do it. If you could do it, you could not do it. This is taken out of your ball game. It's admitting, just like in AA for me, it isn't about learning how to manage life. It's admitting you can't manage life. It's in, it's in my admittance of powerlessness that I constantly have power. Once I start thinking I have power, I experience powerlessness. Experiencing powerlessness is different. It's frustrating when people don't do what you, they, you want them to do, isn't it? That's experiencing powerlessness. But when you admit powerlessness, you feel power, a constant source of power. Yeah? So, in a way, I don't learn how to deal with things, I just admit I can't deal with things. Yeah? And in that admittance, I can't deal with things. A system I was relying on collapses, and I'm immediately relying on something other than self. Yes, but I can't rely on the other system as a self, because that would be a sense of reliance on self. Yeah, and I was constantly doing that in all my years until I entertained I'm not a self. That's true removal from the system that's failed us. Like it says in the book, it says that it asks us a simple question. Why are we in so much fear? It's a very, that's a pretty profound question, really. And it doesn't let us answer, thank God. You know, <laughs> we've written novels of why we're in fear. It says, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? So it's really pinpointing the dilemma, yeah? Self-reliance would be managing also, yeah? So we're relying on an unreliable system, and we're showing the effects of that. Yes? Our life is showing the effects of that. How we travel through life is really based on what we're relying on. Obviously, yeah. if you're relying on self and you have a lot of faith, let's say, and everyone in this room, in my view, has tons of faith, tons of faith. When you're relying on self, faith is in the thought system. You believe the thoughts about what's not happening. And so faith in the thought system of self produces anxiety. The same faith that's taken away from that reliance on self produces abidance in the truth. It's the same faith, the same energy. It's just, it has a manifestation here in what vehicle it's put in. So if you're putting your faith in your thought system, you're going to live in anxiety, because you're going to believe the thoughts about what's not happening. You cannot escape it, because you are a thought about what's not happening, really. Yes? But that same faith that's imprisoning you will free you if it's removed from reliance on self into relying on something greater than self. 
So now new downloads happen. You get intuitive thoughts or directions, not through the thought system, but through feeling or some kind of you know intuition. Something happens, or something sometimes just turns you, and you're looking in the right direction, and you start being led in a different manner, which you know by you get a sense of what's leading you by the fruits. You can't see it. Yeah, it's not a thing. Yes, but it has an influence here. And it's sort of like you know the wind by its effects on the leaves. So you know this power by its effects through you. And you can tell, like Jesus said, you know, a good tree cannot bring forth bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bring forth good fruit. You'll know the tree by the fruit. So you can actually get a sense of what you're relying on by how your life is starting to look. Yeah? And instead of having gratitude as an experience, it starts infusing in your view. Yeah? You start looking through with a view of gratitude instead of having experiences here and there of being grateful. Your view, your attitude and outlook has now been shifted. Yes? Like it says in our book. You know? You'll feel a new power flow in. Well, first you get a, you sincerely take the position of reliance on something greater than yourself. Then all remarkable things start to happen to people. Yes? You have a new employer being all powerful. It's going to take care of you. All you have to do is fill two requirements, and one you've already fulfilled. The first one is to stay close to it. You can't be away from everywhere. <laughs> it's very hard to get away from everywhere. So you heard that requirement filled, and then it says to perform his works well, so service. Yeah. And then after a while, after that sincerely taking that position, it gets established. Now the, the results totally shift. Yeah, totally shift. Now, the results are you feel a new power flow in. Yes? You are able to enjoy peace of mind. Peace of mind is a state of mind that's available at all times, actually. But your ability to enjoy it isn't. Yeah? So now you have the ability to enjoy peace of mind. Because peace of mind without enjoyment, what the hell is it? It doesn't mean anything to you, does it? I can now enjoy peace of mind. And then the funny thing is, I always like to tell a story. You'll learn that you can face life successfully. I think I shared this last time, but I like this story. I remember the, the first AA dance I ever went to was the last AA dance I ever went to. <laughs> <laughs> I was about less than a year sober. I go to the first AA dance, and I'm on the men's side, you know. And then there's a disco ball and a big area, and there's the women's side. And I had drank about six calistogas, you know, because I didn't have beer. So I just this giant carbonated bubble. And like my security, I just keep drinking. I didn't know what to do with myself. So then it was sort of decided, we got to break the ice. So I was sent, like, as, as a scout to the women's side. And there was this woman I had been seeing in AA that I liked, you know. I felt like I liked her. I felt good energy. So I walked up to her, yeah, and I got up to her and I asked her, hey, will you dance with me? And she said, no. Yes? Now, this brought about a feeling my life was all about avoiding, which was rejection. I played my life that so small because I was afraid to fail. Yes? The only thing I was good at was getting loaded. Yeah? But the real edge of life wasn't getting loaded, it was receiving unconditional love or going to a job interview. That was living on the edge, shooting up and getting shot at with nothing. Yeah? So here I was, she says no to me, and I shrink up. Oh, myself just went into the, you know, the raisin thing. <laughs> so I turn around, and now the, the, the dance floor looks like a minefield. And I start to, and the disco ball is like a spotlight. And, I'm trying, and everyone's watching me. They know, you know, 
no one wants to dance with them. My mind's just sulking like crazy. I get to the other side, and I realize it didn't kill me. And the whole fear of rejection was that it could kill me, and it can't. Yes? And so I started to learn how to face life successfully in AA. It was incredible. Then it says, another aspect is you will now feel the conscious presence. Yeah, unbelievable. The conscious presence. In other words, when you're totally self-conscious, the conscious presence seems absent, doesn't it? When you're totally in you, it doesn't seem like there's a presence or a God. Is is there? But when you lose interest in yourself, then this conscious presence is available. Yeah? So you now start feeling this conscious presence, and then basically it says you're basically reborn. Yeah? This is before the third step. It's describing what power the principle of relying on something greater than self has offered us. Yes? If you can just entertain the possibility. But if self claims that invitation, it will minimize the effect that's available. You will get some relief from the disease, but it will still have its tentacles. It will be, instead of eight tentacles, one of them will be bent back. So you'll see a little, but you're still going to be driven by the parasite in recovery. Yeah? Jesus Christ. But the thing is, if you entertain, I'm not that that's telling me, yes? I'm not taking my, my own evidence as being by my thoughts, by the thoughts. I'm taking the evidence of being because I'm conscious. I'm taking that to signal what I am, the consciousness, not the thoughts informing me of what I am, but the, the, the true information of being alive, consciousness, yes? If I'm not that, then these things they talk about in the program, I've had every one of the problems that are described in the program, I've had personal experiences of, and the same thing with all the solutions now. All the solutions, when it says you'll cease fighting everything and anyone, anything and anyone, not just alcohol, but anything and anyone, you will be placed in a position of neutrality with no effort or thought on your part. In other words, just like the ball of that burrito is put down when it hits your mouth, you put the ball down and run into your life and something picks it up. Yes? And you're placed in a position of neutrality. The problem will not exist for you, which is a very high-level solution. Yeah? If you had a problem that dominated a large time of, an aspect of your life, and now it doesn't seem to exist for you, that's a radical solution. Yes? That's what's promised to us. The problem will not exist for you. And know how it lasts not existing for you when it's not existing as you. The not existing as you is what lengthens the solution. It makes it always at all times instead of something infrequent based on what you do or don't do, which is playing God. How could your spiritual ambition be based on self? It's prior to the self. To have myself be the one that informs me how my spiritual condition is, is the root of the disease. Yeah? My spiritual condition informs me I'm not self. Not with thought, with a sense, yes? with an intimation, with an understanding, with a revelation. You're conscious. <laughs> and this isn't a draft or a conscription. Heads will hear this and they'll beat themselves up with it. It's not that. It has nothing to do if you want to do it or don't do it. It's a possibility that the mind that you are knows already. It's a prior knowledge than the conditional mind. 
Now, will it be triggered or not? Who knows? That's not up to us. But the offering is available. And that's how I found out I had to hear it from someone else. And when I heard it from someone else, I started to entertain the information they offered, and I entertained it, and it became a live information in my life. It actualized itself. It wasn't a book I read on a Saturday after I went on a, a, like a high-level retreat with massages and you know hot tubs, and then I felt a little better for an hour, and I read some profound stuff. It actualized in my daily living. Yeah. Yes. So it's represented. We have it here in AA. We call it the pause. Yes? You ever know the pause? It says pause when agitated. The pause, if you had three pauses in your life, your whole life would look different. In certain situations, if there was a pause and it wasn't a knee-jerk reaction and emotional feelings weren't followed by action, your whole life would look different. The pause is like an eternal moment in time. Yes? That pause is truly a free sample of what we are. We are that pause. We're not the one that's having an experience of it. We are that pause. If you are that pause, then your life is lived from pause. Very nice, eh? Shit happens, of course. Your mind is selfing constantly. But the thing is, you don't believe you're the noun it's presenting anymore. There's a conviction, I'm not that. And then instead of knowing everything, you find out. Yeah? If you in this world, when you're 8 o'clock in the morning, how does life present itself to you? Let's say it's a card game. The only card you're going to get at 8 a.m. is the 8 a.m. card. Yeah? You're not going to get the 4 p.m. card. The head wants to know what the 4 p.m. card is going to be. And without having any knowledge, you'll make up a story about it so that you can have a secure feeling the day's going to suck or whatever. Yeah? But in fact, life gives a card each moment. And you don't get the next card until the next moment. Yes? This is about living how to find out instead of knowing. The mind wants the security of knowing. It doesn't care if it's right or wrong. It just wants to know. But finding out is the joy of living. You show up and see what happens. That's what I do with these talks. I don't even know what, what I, you know, I read on 2 to 5 tomorrow. I never even look at the schedule. I just show up. Someone meets me. Sometimes I don't even know them. They put me in their house and they pass me over to someone else. Show up, do the shares, go home. Watch a horror movie, hopefully. <laughs> you know? It's like, what do I need to do? I, it's not for me. I don't have to study. I don't have any written script. I just show up and see what happens. Because it's not about me. It's not from me. <laughs> this has nothing to do with me. That's why it can't be fucked up. <laughs> If it had something to do with me, I would, many nights I wouldn't show up. Because my idea was, I can't do it tonight. Obviously. But it's not about me. That's the good news. And life... See, I was going to write a book, and it would be called Life Without Paul. And it was such a great book. It was going to be preceded with Life with Paul, which was going to be a terrible prison and hospital melodrama. <laughs> and then there was Life Without Paul, and it would just be like, aha! Hallelujah, and just blank pages. Yeah? Let life fill out the story. Let's find out what's going to happen instead of believing I know. Let's find out. So, that's that, eh? What do we do now? Oh, pass the basket. Oh, we did already. All right. Hey, I have... Uh,